Truly, I tell you, wherever this good news is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. The Gospel of the Lord. Wow, isn't this the perfect weather for today? <laughs> a day of celebration and joy. No, it's probably not if you're on spring break for all those who are in the Kitsap County area. I think most, if not all, the school districts are on spring break this week, and the forecast doesn't look too good for that until spring break is over next Sunday. But I actually kind of mean the weather thing seriously because, well, and... and when I saw it, it was a 5 a.m. forecast of a frozen mix, and now we're going to get a cloudy high of 44. Yeah, all right. Sounds great. I was actually almost expecting a little snow when I came today. But it's kind of helpful to have this contrast outside to what we're experiencing on the inside, this warmth and, in, and joy that we have in welcoming the Messiah. Because although it is, and I looked this up, although it, the high today in Jerusalem it's supposed to be sunny and a high of about 68, which sounds really nice right now. In Jesus' day, the storm of oppression from Rome was a pretty chilling reality, despite whatever the weather was back then. It was a chilling reality for all those who were standing on those streets and welcoming Jesus with shouts of, Hosanna! Which actually, and probably a lot of you know this, means what? Anybody venture a guess? Come and save us. God, save us. Save us. Help us. It's a cry from a place of need, but it's also, as it's expressed, it has this sense of how God has been faithful in the past. You know, it's kind of like, Mom! Right? A little bit like that. Like, I know Mom will come. No offense to dads, but when my kids are really in need, they're going to say Mom. I know they are. Mom, I know, which kind of says, I know you've been here in the past, so I'm crying out once again, come and save me from whatever problem, big or small, it might be. Well, the problems are pretty big for God's people at this time. God, you've been faithful in the past. Come and save us now. Now, Matthew seems to really want to be very specific about the... Um, you know, what's told to us in Zechariah about what's going to happen. So um, we don't know if Jesus rode in on a donkey or if he rode in on a colt or if he was the first rodeo rider and he sort of had a bridle on both, you know, and the reins in between and had a foot on each one. But Jesus rides in nonetheless. Kind of, geez, Matthew, what do you, what do you picture? Are you painting here? Be a little more specific. But that would have drawn people back to this first reading that we had, to Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 that we heard today. But it would also draw them back to the next four chapters that come after chapter 9 in Zechariah. And in those chapters, the triumphant king who has come in peaceably, who has kind of turned the swords into plowshares, if you will, and has kind of taken all those instruments of 
of, of war away. They're no longer needed. He comes in on a colt, which is a sign that he's coming in peace, that he already has the victory, and everything now will be peaceful. Following that, what we've heard today is the king triumphantly dealing with the powers that have oppressed God's people in the past. Kind of an iron fist against those oppressive powers. And so that's kind of mixed in with this as well. And if that's the buzz on the street, you can imagine how Jesus is stirring up conflict in this action. I mean, kind of drink in that scene. We're told that Jerusalem didn't have a huge Roman kind of police presence. It was a fairly peaceful city. But during Passover, there would have been a lot more of a Roman presence of authority because of what Passover brings up in the minds of the people. It's a celebration of liberation from oppression. That sounded like a Jesse Jackson quote, didn't it? Celebration of liberation from oppression. And it would come up in their minds once again. So when Jesus comes into the city like a tri- the triumphant servant king of Zechariah, this is not what the Romans want. And it's not what the religious leaders want either. And they come to Jesus later like, do you hear what they're saying? Tone it down. You're going to get people hurt. You're going to get people killed. You're going to make things worse. It reminds me a little bit of a, of a story I was told by a, by a pastor um, who's probably joined the church triumphant at, at this point, but who I heard in, in Milwaukee years and years ago. And he happened to be a person who was in the room, and I, I know I've told this story before, but not for a long time. But he happened to be in the room um, with many other pastors and kind of community leaders and faith leaders uh, when Martin Luther King Jr. at one of kind of the initial meetings that he had uh, with, with other leaders about, you know, what are we going to do about what's going on here? He was a pastor at a Lutheran church in, in Birmingham, Alabama. And they came together and they met, and he said what was, what was so fascinating was there were a lot of leaders in there, well-meaning and caring for their flocks and caring for their people who looked at, at Dr. King and said, look, if you stir things up, it's going to get bad. You know, this isn't, this isn't quite the right time. There's a famous quote from Martin Luther King Jr. that probably many of you know. It's, it's never the wrong time to do the right thing. Right? It's a wonderful, famous quote, and it kind of came out of the spirit of, of that, that yes, this was the time. It had to be the time to move forward. Well, Jesus likewise is stirring things up, but for good reason, he's stirring things up. And all these sort of Passover vibes of liberation are mixing with these Messiah vibes of maybe God now has come in this prophet from Nazareth. Maybe now God has come to act. And so all of these, all of these visions and all these things are kind of coming into focus for God's people. But I want to ask you a question. What happened after the Passover? What happened after the Passover? Anybody? (laughs) Getting old, hard of hearing. Shout it out. What do you got? The wilderness wandering, right? Yeah, they were freed. They went into the wilderness. And there is uh, this, this wandering that happens for many years. And this wandering is actually celebrated in a Jewish festival. One of the 
um, kind of high feasts of the Jewish people called the Festival of Booths. Now, you might be like, why are you talking about this? We'll get there. Stick, stick with me here. Now, this festival is a reminder of when God's people wandered in the desert and how they didn't have a permanent place to dwell. And so what they would do is they would build these temporary shelters. They'd put down two kind of maybe two or four strong branches and then they would kind of fashion um, other branches and leaves and things like that. Whatever they could find out in the wilderness, they would kind of fashion that together into these temporary dwellings. If you remember, when Jesus went up on the mountain and took his beloved disciples with him, what did Peter want to do? Booths. He wanted to build a booth, you know, one for you and one for and us, and we're just going to stay here and we're going to bask in the glory of God and we're just going to hang out forever and ever and ever. Now, Peter may have wanted to build that out of rocks and not branches to stay there forever in the, in the glory of Jesus. But whatever it was, that's kind of what this draws on. Let's build a dwelling place here. Let's dwell in this place. But for God's people in that time of wandering, for all of those years, for decades of time, they would build these temporary shelters. And some Christians even, and, and many faithful Jews, still celebrate this festival today. And if you read um, uh, closely in Matthew's Gospel... It talks about the people laying branches at Jesus' feet, right? Now, I usually, with Matthew, I want him to be more specific. I want him to be like John. I want him to say palm branches, right? Because this is Palm Sunday. We call it Palm Sunday. But actually, John is the only of the four Gospels to mention palms. Some mention more cloaks and some other things. But, but Matthew says they spread their coats, and he says they spread their branches as well. But I have to tell you, when I think about this festival of booze and that connection with Passover and what came after, and that this was a spring celebration as well, a celebration of harvest in the Middle East, it kind of connected for me for one of the first times. And I really love what Matthew says here in our processional gospel about generally these branches. Now, we have all these palm branches, but in the festival of, of booze, palms, again, weren't the only ones. The palm was a symbol of victory, but they also used willows, which is a symbol for weeping. They used myrtle, which was for joy, and they used olive branches to represent fruitfulness. And they would come around in the festival of booze, raising these branches high. And so Matthew gives this kind of nonspecific about the people coming, and he says they, they brought branches, they brought cloaks, and they laid them at Jesus' feet. Now, throughout this Lenten season, as we come to the end of Lent, throughout this Lenten season, you have heard reflections on Psalm 46, whether you've been watching those from home or coming to the soup suppers and worship, people noticing how God has been a very present help in trouble. And how, what it means for people to be still and know God. Now, I witnessed some of these testimonies. And here's what I can say, and here's what I see in those. We had a mother who was talking about being still in prayer with all the busyness of her kids' schedules and just life and full-time work and all of that kind of stuff. In that silence before sleep, she was still with God in prayer. And what she did was she would lay down, like the people today, she would lay down the cloak 
of her anxieties and her fears and her wonderings about, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to be with this? She would take those anxieties and would lay them down. And she, what she found in that is that she was able to sleep much more deeply as she laid them as, at Jesus' feet. And she would have that assurance, Hosanna, God, come and save me. And then we had two athletes who found stillness in their minds as their bodies are being pushed to the limit of speed and the limit of endurance, laying like a myrtle branch of joy at Jesus' feet as they experience, Hosanna, God, joy to you. And last week, our last week of Wednesdays, we had a deeply thoughtful man who shared a story of a, woman, uh, of a woman's Holocaust journal that speaks to him of how God sustains our spirit even when the outside world is falling apart and oppressing us. And in that telling, he lays down this willow of weeping and the cry goes up, Hosanna, come and save me. Even when the outside world was falling apart, she saw her own soul as being saved by God and sustained by God. You see, we all have something to lay at Jesus' feet, and not just because we took a branch at the beginning of worship. We all have maybe a willow or a myrtle or a palm to lay at Jesus' feet today, and his coming into our presence is as real as it was for the disciples in that day. And what we're holding on to and what we're clutching, um, you know, needs to be let go <laughs> and laid down. That Jesus can come in and, and as this peaceable king riding on, the, on, the, on a donkey or a colt can ride across those things and transform them in new ways. Now how do I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that that's, that's what Jesus is doing today? That's, that's what his entry into uh, into this place, into Silverdale Lutheran, as much as it was into Jerusalem that day. You know how I know that's real? You know how I know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Because of what happens next. Because of what happens. And this is how God is a constant for us. Jesus goes into the temple and he turns over the tables of the money changers and he chases people out and he reverses everything, turns it all upside down. He quotes scripture once again in, in saying this is to be called the house of prayer, which is how the temple was dedicated at the beginning in Solomon's temple, in the first temple. It's a house of prayer. And then he goes to the, to the prophet Jeremiah and he says, you're making this place a den of robbers. Coins were exchanged and things were sold. Now, it was a service for those folks to be there because you didn't want to, you know, haul a lamb from from the Galilee all the way to Jerusalem or, a, or doves in a cage or that kind of thing when you're walking all that way. So there was a service in what they did. But what Jesus also does is he takes the need for that service away. Jesus does things differently in different Gospels, but in Matthew's Gospel, he focuses on Jesus kind of reversing the faucet, if you will, of the temple. He throws over those, those tables, and then what does he do? He welcomes in people and gives them healing. You see, what he's doing there is he's saying, you've come to this temple and you've paid your money and you've gotten your sacrifice and you offer up your offerings up to God. You're, you're climbing up with these offerings and you're, and you're pushing everything up towards God. God, come and save us. God, you know, get that offering up to the, to the ears of God and, and do it right so that it's, you know, the blessing comes in the right way. Don't mess it up. 
And Jesus says there's no need for that anymore. I've come in as the peaceable king and I've, I've walked across all of the, of the problems and the joys that you have and I've come into the temple and I'm, I'm here to reverse that flow. Now the healing comes down. The sacrifice comes to you. There's no need to go up and frankly it's pointless anyway. You're not going to get it right. You're going to fail. And you're going to have something more to lay at my feet once again. Jesus takes that mercy and that love of God and says, I am here. I am actually physically present with you. I have come in to this place of worship. And there's no need for you to be busybodies about the sacrifices anymore. Just receive my healing. Hosanna is answered in that moment. Hosanna is answered in the temple that day. Hosanna, God, come, save us, is answered in our presence today. And Jesus will put the stamp on that as we walk with him in the beautiful passion story this week on Thursday, on Friday, and on Sunday as well. May you be blessed this day with what Jesus has done and is continuing to do in our lives and in the life of our world. Amen.